The sermon text comes from the Gospel of Matthew tonight. It's found in Matthew 13, verses 31 through 33, and it reads like this. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like, le like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. This is the end of God's word. Let's take a moment for word of prayer. Father, help us to see your hidden kingdom tonight and how you are working in the midst of our lives, in the midst of our neighbors' lives, in the midst of this world. Help us to see, Father, with eyes of faith what you're doing by your spirit, through the power of your word, in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Uh, so in case you haven't been here uh, before, we are in the middle of a series called God's Stories, where we're looking at the parables of, of Jesus in Matthew 13 and a couple of other spots, but basically what are known as the kingdom parables that tell us a little bit about how God's kingdom functions, uh, how God actually operates in his world. And... Um, and I suppose, you know, when you think of the word kingdom, there are certain images that come to mind. There are certain things that just sort of pop into your head when you think about a king. You might think of somebody who's powerful. You might think of somebody who rules over many armies. You might think of Game of Thrones, because after all, that's all about kings or would-be, wannabe kings. But generally speaking, you're thinking of something that's powerful and seems very intimidating. That's the way kingdoms look. And if there's anything we've seen over the last couple weeks looking at God's kingdom, it's that it's precisely the opposite of what we might expect. In fact, the imagery he uses tonight most be, might, might be kind of the most sad imagery or the most seemingly insignificant imagery he uses his whole time when he describes the kingdom. The image of a mustard seed and yeast. Um, the image of mustard seed and yeast. It's entirely different, God's kingdom, than what we may have pictured. And so we're going to talk about that tonight. Uh, the fact is that hasn't changed even to this day. There might be many times in your life where you have thought, if God is really with me, why doesn't it seem to be more evident? If God really rules this world, why doesn't it seem to be more evident? And what Jesus is trying to show us through this small parable, these few lines that I just read from you or for you from Matthew 13, is that we shouldn't be surprised when we feel like that. It's designed this way. What is it designed like? Well, the first thing is we're basically told from this parable that God's kingdom operates from the outside. We're told it operates from the outside. Notice that a seed has to be thrown into the ground in order for the ground to produce fruit from it. Uh, when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, one of the first things he told them in the Lord's Prayer was to ask for God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done. Now, why would he instruct us to pray that? 
Well, because naturally God's will is not being done in our lives. And naturally his kingdom is not ruling over our lives. And the reason that is is because we bear the marks of our previous generations. We bear the marks of our fathers. We are we're born with this innate sort of tendency to rebel against God as king, as ruler. Every time we do something that we know God has said not to do, or dwell on thoughts that God has said not to think, or speak words that God has said not to speak, um, we naturally show that we don't possess the kingdom within. There's not, as some would say, a spark of greatness as much as there is um, an evidence of corruption inside of us. And so God comes to us and says, I am king, I am lord of your life, I rule, and our first instinct is to go, no, push back, no, I don't want that, I don't like that. I mean, if you, if you need evidence of this, you can come over to my place anytime I've got three amazing little boys that love to show you that they want to be in charge at all times, especially my littlest one. My littlest one is inherently always wanting to make the rules. He always wants to tell you how things are. If I say, this piece of paper is green, he'll say, no, it's not, Daddy, it's red. And I'll say, no, it's green. He'll say, I said it's red. Now, what's he doing there? I mean, he, he knows it's green, and this, maybe he's covered by We haven't got them checked yet. We've got to figure that out. But, uh, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but he, you know, there's this inherent just sort of like, as soon as we, he's corrected, he wants to push back. And then that's in all of us. I mean, and, and, and so we're like children that way. It's not surprising. I mean, God has created us. We, he, he, we're going to call him Father. But like children, we're also, we push back against authority. And so, so what God has to do, in order to save his, his creation that is so, so prone towards that, that they actually hurt themselves and harm others, what God has to do is he has to come in from the outside. He has to plant the seed of his kingdom, mixing the yeast of his kingdom in our lives externally from the outside. Our natural righteousness is no righteousness at all. As the prophet Isaiah says, uh, our righteousness naturally is like filthy rags before God's sight. And so we need his kingdom to come from outside and be planted within us. And his kingdom is his righteousness given to us. By his amazing grace through faith, God exchanges our unrighteousness for the righteousness of Jesus. He plants Jesus in our garden, in the bread of our souls, from the outside to the inside. And yet, and yet, even as God's kingdom has to come from outside of us because naturally we wouldn't produce it. I mean, Jeremiah says the heart is deceitfully and deceitful and wicked above all things. It wouldn't do it. It has to come from outside. The fact is, um, God's kingdom does come. But... It operates in a way that seems insignificant and hidden. Or in other words, or in other words it starts small in our life. Have you ever seen a mustard seed? 
If you have, you know that it's very, very tiny. That it's not particularly easy to see. And it's that image that Jesus wants us to get a picture of. That like when I come into your life, you ought not be surprised when everything isn't um, totally different instantly. It, it might seem like it's barely there. The same thing with the picture of the leaven. The leaven, you know, to put yeast or leaven in dough, you just need a tiny, tiny bit for it to spread throughout the whole lump of dough. That's the way that works. But again, how disappointing to the disciples that Jesus is speaking to. If, if you're not aware of this, at the time of Christ, the disciples' expectation of the Messiah, of the one who had come to be the Savior of the Jewish people, was that when he came, he would, he would gather up an army. That he would take that army to the throne of Caesar, to Rome, and he would establish his throne. That it would come by force, that he would not allow the unrighteous kingdoms of this world to stay anymore. That he, indeed, would dwell forever in righteousness on the throne of the world. But that is not the picture Jesus gives. We want a redwood tree of a kingdom, and Jesus says it's a mustard seed. I wonder if that description of God's kingdom is a bit disappointing to you, too. Or maybe it has been for you. You ever prayed for something to happen that you only, that, that really, you knew God could do, and he didn't do it? And you go, you know, you're king. You can do this. You, you can heal this person. You can do this great thing for me. You could have given me this job. You could have given me this spouse. You're, you can do this if you're really king. We'd like God to rule by placing amazing leaders in governing positions in our country and around the world so that justice can finally be established, that peace can finally be established on earth, that the world can be as it was meant to be, right? I mean, these are, we pray and ask for these big things that a king can do, the king of the universe can do. If he is king, why not? And he says, it's, it's my operation's more gradual. The way I'm doing this is to start small. And it's challenging. I know I've been there. Helmut Thielicke was a pastor in Germany during World War II. And he tells the story sort of at the height. He was, a, he was rebelling against Hitler and the, you know, the armies of Germany. And he tells the story of going out to his first Bible study hour, being so confident that the mighty kingdom of God would take down this horrible government institution that had been set up, this, these Nazis. And he walked into the building for his first Bible study hour, and there were two senior citizen ladies and an organist playing music that had palsied hands and really could not play well at all. And that was it. The whole church was just that. And he's sitting there asking himself, if your kingdom really can destroy all the kings of this world, 
Is this what you're going to do it with? And you know what God's answer is? God's answer is yes. God, God is the God who loves to work through weak, unpredictable things in order to bring himself glory. God loves using the foolish things of the world, the small things of the world, to make gigantic impacts that we would never have seen coming. When I was a boy growing up, I never wanted to go to church. I don't think I'm that unusual. When I was five or six, I didn't find church to be a fun place to go. Uh, but there was, for a brief time, a moment where my parents would take me to church and I looked forward to going. And it wasn't because of the dynamic sermon. I, I mean, you know, I, I wish. You know, as a preacher, I wish I would have been like, I loved preaching always. But no, I don't remember any sermons from when I was a kid. And it wasn't because of the amazing music. I don't remember that at all. I don't remember any of the music. Uh, it wasn't because of any of the things that we might typically go to church for. But in, I, here's the thing. Here's what I know about the church that we went to. And here's why I wanted to go for a little bit. In the children's ministry at this church, there was this red-haired dude with a big afro. And every time I would walk into the children's ministry area, his name was Steve. This is all I know about him. Red hair afro, Steve. That's all I know. Every time I would walk in, it was as if I was the most important person on planet Earth then. He made me feel like I was this amazing kid. And so he would come up to me and go, hey, buddy, good to see you again. And he knew my name. He called me Aaron. And I remember being like, I think church is great. Anytime I saw Steve. But who's Steve in the big swing of things? I don't know. I don't know where he's at today. You can't type in red-haired Afro Steve in Google and find him. But that was, it was the small thing. It was the small thing that God used to begin to make an impact in my life. You want to know where the power of God is most manifested in my life a lot of the time? It's listening to my son Lincoln, the same one that I told you can be a rebel, saying his prayers. He'll say these prayers. Thank you, God. This, is, this will be a whole prayer. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Mommy, Daddy, brothers, Jude and John. Those are his brothers' names. Thank you for dying on my cross. Amen. That's the power of God. This is what he says. He says, listen, if you want to be, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, be like that. That's what he actually says. You've got to be more like, more like a kid. I don't know. I don't always get it. I don't always want it that way. I don't want, I don't want God to work through the weak things of the world, the foolish things of the world. I want him to work through strength and power and might. But then here's the reality. He can't work through me because I'm weaker than I realize. I'm more foolish than I think. And the same is true for every one of us. The first disciples were a ragtag bunch of fishermen, ex-tax collectors and zealots. The people Jesus healed were not people of great cultural influence most of the time, but they were oddballs, strangers and outcasts. Even our Lord himself, we're told, uh, we're told by Isaiah, had nothing 
attractive by his nature that would draw us to him? I mean, think about it. If you look at it from the perspective of the average first century person, there is nothing flashy or attractive about a man crucified, murdered on a hill outside of the city of Jerusalem. But that's how the kingdom of God operates. And yet, God's kingdom through these things does grow. God's kingdom will grow. As Jesus goes on to tell us in the parable, this small, tiny mustard seed, this little yeast, it just spreads everywhere. It spreads all over the place. The yeast eventually takes over the bread it was placed into. Jesus did not just end up a murdered Jewish rabbi. He rose from the dead, defeating the powers of the world, the devil and the flesh. The church being a small ragtag bunch of fishermen, zealots, and buffoons, by the power of God's Spirit, 50 days after Jesus' resurrection had grown to thousands of people. By the end of the first century, the mighty Roman Empire, that was so unconquerable by everyone, had nearly entire had converts coming out of everywhere so much so that the Roman Empire was becoming Christianized faster than the ruling class knew what to do with it. And it didn't happen by the Christian church picking up a sword or gathering an army. It happened simply through the means of the seed of God's word spreading. How does this apply to me? How does this apply to you? Well, i got to tell you, Thinking about the kingdom this way encourages me greatly when I think about this church. When I think about Epiphany Lutheran Church. I mean, here's the deal. Here's the reality. We just started three months ago. We are a brand new church. And from the outside, it would seem that we're really, really small and insignificant. I mean, how can a tiny church plant that owns no property? We own nothing in the city. We don't, we don't have anything to stake investment on. We don't have any money. Altogether, right now in Epiphany, we have around 50 people that would call Epiphany their church home when we take in all the people that come on any given day. Summer is definitely much less on a regular basis. And so the question comes, like, when you're a church this small, you go, well, can anything, can we really do anything to serve this massive city? Can we do anything to really meet the needs of this massive place? Yeah. Because God's kingdom operates like a mustard seed in the garden. It starts off small. It starts off looking insignificant. But we're going to do the same thing the church has done from the very beginning. We're going to preach God's word of forgiveness of sins to all. And we're going to watch him plant his seed in people's hearts and forgive them and transform them. And we're going to worship him through amazing music just as much as the church has always sung to the Lord of heaven and earth. And we're going to watch the leaven of his kingdom spread throughout our lives. We're going to pray and we're going to ask him for growth. And more and more people will come into our midst. I'm absolutely, I absolutely believe that. And though we, we can't alleviate poverty in the city, our mustard seed of a church will be able to hand out simple meals to hundreds over the next year just in our neighborhood by 
coming together and making a lunch for him. And the mustard seed of the kingdom of God will grow. This is how it happens. And the same thing is true in your own personal life. You may be... I don't, I don't know what you're walking in here with tonight. I don't know. But I know that there's been plenty of times where personally I've thought, I'm not sure that I see much evidence of God's presence in my life. I get the same stupid struggles that I've had before. I got the same issues that I've had before. They come up, I thought they were done, and then they spring up again. And I, is he really working? And I want to assure you that if you trust in Jesus as your Lord, he is. It might, it might seem hidden. It might seem unimpressive. But he is. Trust him. You know, I have a friend the other day who shall remain nameless, but his name starts with a D and ends with a K, and in the middle is Amina. Uh, he's here tonight. And he wrote an, about an experience of growth that's happened in his life. Uh, and ironically, the growth has happened by losing weight. That's been his area of growth for the last year. And I think it, his description of what he's gone through the last year is what you can expect as the kingdom of God works in your life, as he grows in your life. This is what he wrote. He said, quote, this past year and more, I've lost nearly 60 pounds. That's true. 60 pounds. There hasn't been nearly a day that I haven't failed at it, even if a little. It didn't stop me from working at it, beating my body and my desire to be a glutton into submission. But failure was a regular and consistent part of it. And yet, still, here I am nearly 60 pounds lighter. This is the closest thing to a perfect analogy to my Christian walk or to the Christian life. I was free to make mistakes, or to sin, if you will. But I did not remain there, not because of rules, but because of grace. That's it, grace reigns. And that indeed is God's kingdom working in you too. It might not be that issue. Might be another issue, it might be a whole host of issues, but God is working. How do I know this? Let me just wrap this up with one really important verse that you need to have placarded across your face all the time because it will keep you going on the days when you wonder if he is working, and it's this. These words are true. Take him to the bank. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The mustard seed is growing. The yeast is spreading. And God's kingdom reigns. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would give us strength by this word of truth. That we would be filled with joy over the reality that you're not done with us. 
Help us, Father, to trust you in the times where it seems like we're alone, because it's often those times when we're alone or we feel that way that you're doing your most intense work in us. And help us in the times, Father, where we feel fulfilled or we feel we can see your work in us to stop right there and give you the proper praise and thanksgiving for your work in us. Father, we ask this in the name of Christ our Lord.